You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Good morning. How you guys doing today? Good. You guys ready for the, the new year? How many of you guys are like not even remotely prepared for it to be a whole new year? Okay. How many of you guys are like a little worried that you're getting older faster? Is that like that's happening to me? I it's like the the older I get, the faster it goes. It seems like just uh, a year ago we were here uh, doing the same thing, talking about different stuff and how we were going to do the new year, and and it's just flown by. And 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 I don't know if you guys, how many of you guys have kids in here? Isn't that the marker of how fast things go? Like I looked at Emma like a year ago, and she was like I was holding her as a baby, and now she's 11 in one year. I don't know how that happened. Um, <laughs> it's insane. I just I, I I looked at her the other day, and I thought in another year she will be taller than I am. Um, that's not right, or any way, shape, or form. But it just moves so fast. And as I was uh, working with the, I, I went with the tor- tornado relief on Friday to to work and to just do what we can. I, I love that kind of work. I love getting out and getting my hands dirty and, and helping people. And uh, I tell you what, I, I'm an Arizona boy, and I always will be. You're always going to hear about Arizona. You're always going to hear about that part of my life. It's a big part of who I am. But more and more, I am finding myself proud to be in Texas, which is a weird feeling for me. All right? Um, yeah. I, <laughs> oh, I, I should never have said that. I should just kept that to myself and never admitted it. But um, here, here, no, no, no. <laughs> Four and eleven. All right. Okay. Uh, so here's the deal. I'm I'm sitting in Texas, and I've watched. I've, you got to understand, Arizona has no natural disasters. It's rated the safest place to live in the world. They don't have earthquakes. They don't have uh, tornadoes. They don't have anything. Hurricanes. Nothing. It's they don't. No, that's like the Sahara. They don't have sandstorms. They have they have something called a haboob. Okay. And what that is, that's what they call it. Okay, it's a haboop, all right? And what it is, is it's a sideways rolling air. It just brings a lot of dust. So basically, if you're standing there, you get rained on, and then the dust rolls through, and you're just a big pile of mud. It's not, <laughs> it's not scary at all. It's like, hey, we just got hit with mud, all right? Not scary. So here, we're sitting in our uh, house trying to figure out where the safest places our house is to be as this tornado's rolling through, and we're watching this and watching the devastation, and, and this is the closest I've ever been to any type of disaster at all. And um, I'm watching this roll through, and then I'm watching, expecting what I've seen in every other place, disaster happens. Uh, Looting, people coming in and taking advantage. And in Texas, that just, funny enough, doesn't happen. Like, you don't see people going into other people's homes and, and taking stuff. They go to other people's homes and help them unbury. This is a weird, unique, awesome state. Right, and so it's kind of fun to take part in this and, and go and help and, and, and be. But as you're going through this and as you're helping people, your heart is just starting to be burdened for this year has to mean something more than just what it meant last year. I feel like like I'm already thinking as I'm as I'm working with these people and helping with these people that that I want to do do more. And I'm watching other churches stop by. Like we're working. Uh, at one point, Sam and I are helping. Uh, we're, we're playing George of the Jungle in a tree with a chainsaw. It was awesome. <laughs> like I'm like swinging with one hand, chopping with the other. It was great. It wasn't quite like that, but it felt like it to me. Um, and so in my picture, that's what it looked like. I'm sure it didn't look like that to anybody else, right? Uh, did it? Excellent. Yes. And she tells the truth, so you can count that. All right? Lurleen is honest. So... I was George of the Jungle with a chainsaw swinging from a tree. 
That's the picture you need to have right now. But as we're swinging from trees and, and cutting branches down and, and Sam, almost killing Sam with a really large branch, um, it was close. Uh, this group stops by and they're like, you guys hungry? And I'm like, we're workers. Go, you know, they're like, no, we're here to feed you. So people were not only taking care of the people that were devastated, they were taking people, care of the people that were helping the people that were helping the people. And then it was just insane. And then I went, uh, we got done with that, and we went over with where Ted and his group was, and we started helping with that. And these people stopped by with tamales. Like, I was like, we need more tornadoes. <laughs> I just got free tamales, right? I'm like, no, no, that's the total wrong way to look at this, <laughs> right? This is not how we should be looking at this. But it was tamales. And I'm thinking, you know what? This is how the church should be, right? This is how the church should be. When something happens, we should be there. And when, when we can't be there, we should be feeding the ones that are there. And when we can't feed the ones we are that are there, we at least should be on our knees praying about the ones that are there, right? This is how the church works. And so it got me uh, really thinking. I had already started planning this sermon and, and what we were going to talk about, and it just kind of really fit. And I was like, okay, so let's kind of go jump into this. Um, uh, how many of you guys do New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Okay, let's see. What, what is there, about 100 people in here? 100 and, let's call it 100, okay? I need eight random people to stand up. I don't care who. One, two, come on, three, four, five, six. I need two more. Seven, eight. Okay, we got eight. We'll call that eight. Okay, look around, everybody. If all of you did a New Year's resolution, those are the people that would make it. <laughs> Statistically. Statistically, so if you're standing up right now and you made a New Year's resolution and everybody else in here made a New Year's resolution, statistically, those eight, with no other planning or just saying, hey, I'm going to do this, they would make it. So give them a hand because those are the ones that are going to make it. Okay, the rest of you might as well just quit now. All right. Well, it, it doesn't quite work that way, but let me tell you the top ten New Year's resolutions. Number one, lose weight. You guys got it. Okay, number two. Get organized. How many in here are like, are like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean up my whole house and I'm going to put those little drawers in that move out and we're going to organize it and maybe, or I don't know, that's what I do. I never do it though. This is my, one of my favorites, three, spend less, save more. Okay, so I, keep these in your head. In your head right now, be thinking about why these aren't going to work. All right? In your head, be thinking about why these aren't going to work because I'm going to get to that in just a second. Enjoy life to the fullest. That is so vague. I'm going to enjoy life to the fullest. How do you measure that? Was I full enough? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, staying fit and healthy is number five. Learn something exciting. That's, I'm like, okay. Okay, number seven is a common one. Quit smoking. Number eight, help others in their dreams. Don't know what that means at all. Okay. Fall in love is number nine. Number nine is fall in love. Okay, if you're not in love right now, your ninth most important thing is to fall in love. Like, lose, I guess it kind of makes sense, losing weights first, then falling in love. That kind of works. But still, uh, and then number ten, spend more time with family, right? And so as I'm reading through these, I'm like thinking, how do you even track some of this? Like, I want to spend less and save more, but I think about my budget and there's no room to spend less or save more. I've already got it pared down to like, like we're going to eat beans this week because that's what we can afford. <laughs> so how do I, I'll save three of the beans. 
and plant them, <laughs> right? They don't have bean stalks, <laughs> right? And I'll have, next year I won't have to spend on beans and I'll have saved money, yes, right? That is no plan at all, right? Uh, like, help others with their dreams. <laughs> how do you track that? I don't know. I, how do you do some of this stuff? So I can understand why people fail a little bit at these and, and sometimes they don't work. But uh, let's talk about... And then I thought to myself, well, if New Year's resolutions and getting people to do new things in the new year, only eight of them will do it. The rest of you can actually leave because <laughs> I'm going to be talking about how to like, actually do something different this year. And so and then I thought, well, that's silly. Uh, so what makes New Year's resolutions go up? What makes them more successful? Well, if you study a little bit, and, you, and you, you look at this, you can see things that make your New Year's resolution more likely to come true. So when you are really trying to understand what it is you're doing and what the effect is going to be, and you study and you plan a little bit, your success rate goes up to 45%. So like, instead of just saying, I'm going to lose weight, right? If you thought, okay, I'm going to put a set number to that. I'm going to lose 10 pounds, and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to change my diet by just getting rid of soda. Okay, you'd probably lose 10 pounds in a year, and it'd be a reasonable goal. You've thought it out. You've got a plan, maybe some accountability. Your goal of getting that goes up about 45% or to 45%. Go up another 20% if you can look at it as a different way of life, that you're seeing that life needs to be lived a little differently. You need to see life a little differently. And if your goal ties into a new outlook on life, it's 20% more likely to succeed on top of that. So you get like in the 60 or 70% chance of, of succeeding. That's pretty good. But you have to do those things. You have to first plan it out, and second, you have to see why this is going to make a life change worth changing. You know, if you're going to lose weight, is it going to make you healthier? That would be a good way to look at life. I want to be healthier this year. I want to feel better. I don't want to feel lousy, so I'm going to lose a little weight because it should help. Okay? Or I need to save a little bit of money so I can go on a mission trip and I can help others. That would be a good way to look at life and probably give you a goal to save money or spend less. These are things that make your success rate go up. So then, <coughs> excuse me, uh, I started looking at what's a blessing. Because I started thinking that we were real blessed to live in the houses we were living in and the things we were doing. And I, and I started thinking, what if I looked at blessings from a, a biblical standpoint? What does the Bible say about being blessed? And what does the Bible say about blessing? And, and I started to realize as I was doing this, I'm going to tell you a story in a second that got me thinking about this all differently, that we don't understand, I think, what a blessing is and how it works and, and, and the difference between like, the things we have and what God sees as a blessing. So I thought, well, let's just go right to Jesus. So let's pray. Can we pray real quick over the word? Is that okay with you guys? Hopefully, because I'm going to do it anyways. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Man, I, my, I need water. Anybody want to get me a water? I'd love you forever. Uh, you know what? Hold on. I'm going to use my illustration. Give me a second. It's Coca-Cola. Clear you right up. Mm. Ah. Remember that. Okay. Because that was supposed to be for later. All right. In the first part of Matthew 5 is what we're going to read, but let's pray real quick. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this uh, book, God, that tells us everything we need to know about who you are and and how we follow you. And, and God, we pray right now over this passage we're about to read, that you let it sink in and you let it change us and you let us grow closer to you because we spent some time in the Bible today. God, thank you for your word and thank you for what it does. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Matthew 5 says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And it goes on. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay? So... As we, I'm going to pull this apart, if that's okay. Take it kind of verse by verse and, and see what Jesus kind of set up, the Bible sets up about blessings and, and talk about how we see life and how we see things and stuff like that. So uh, I'm going to take a minute, though, and I'm going to tell you about sandwiches. Okay, you ready for that? Sandwiches. Okay, that's how I say it. Okay, I am a sandwich person. How many guys grew up reading the comics? In the, like Sunday morning was like you went and pulled the comics out. That's all you cared about, and you read the comics. As I got older, the comics and the sports page were the two things I pulled out, but still the comics. And there was this comic called uh, Blondie. You guys remember? Okay, who's the main character in Blondie, believe it or not? Dagwood, right? And Dagwood did what? He ate sandwiches. That's all I remember from that comic. He ate sandwiches, and he was horrible at golf. That's all I remember. All right? But I have a, a Dagwood-like affinity for sandwiches. So this is my favorite sandwich. Get it at Walmart, and it's my favorite because it costs $3, right? It's a New York deli. I'm going to read to you the ingredients. You ready? Our fresh-baked cheddar cheese loaf is loaded with salami, pastrami, ham, and Swiss cheese for a premium sub-experience featuring genuine prima della meats and cheese. That's a gorgeous sandwich right there, isn't it? How many of you guys are a little hungry right now? Too bad. I'm not giving you this. All right. Ted gives stuff away. I keep it. I'll probably give it away. All right. So I'm sitting down the other day to eat a sandwich, and this is my favorite meal right here, these two things, sandwich, Coca-Cola. It's probably not the best thing in the world for me, so don't judge. All right. You're like, that's horrible. Coca-Cola is used to clean blood off the highways and go down my throat. All right. So, Okay. True story, actually. But uh, Arizona Highway Patrol carries that in the back of their patrol cars. To, so it, it both cleans the highway and quenches thirst. All right, both important. Okay, Joe, this is actually for you because it says soulmate right there. Look at that. All right. I thought of my wife. Okay, so I'm sitting down for this sandwich, and I, it's, I, I'm down. I'm, I'm sitting in my chair. I'm relaxing. I'm in, I like to just look at the sandwich for a minute, have a moment. All right? <laughs> Enjoy the beauty that is sandwich. Right? And then, you know, you ever have the Coke and it's so cold, it's starting to uh, condense on the outside and the little, and you're like, oh, that's going to be chilly and good. And, uh, and you just, you just take a minute because you got to. It's like almost like a happy tear, right? <laughs> a sandwich and Coke. And this goes through my head. I, God, thank you for blessing me with this sandwich. And it seems so stupid, but I meant it. All right? I meant it. I was happy. Okay? It had, I, I add a little bit to the sandwich because it doesn't come with tomatoes and I love tomatoes. Avocado, I put a little tomato on it, a little avocado on it. Delicious. Every now if I'm getting like really out there, I'll throw some bacon down. 
uh, just because, but that's like heaven, so you got to take that a little bit at a time. And as I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is such a blessing. And, and what I'm really thinking in my head is that I'm in a, I'm in a, a warm, uh, safe house. This is after the tornado has gone through. So I'm thinking about the sandwiches just making me kind of reflect a little bit because sandwiches do that. Um, if they don't, then you really need to get a whole other perspective on sandwiches. All right? And I'm starting to think, okay, I'm married to, like, my wife is hot. <laughs> She's smoking. Thank you for that, God. All right? All um, right. And I got four kids that I mostly like. Um, I'm just kidding. I love them. Uh, I got four wonderful kids, and I'm, I'm blessed with kids. And I've got a job I love. I'm preaching at a church I love. I just am blessed. And, and God at that moment kind of every now and then you're sitting there and you're thinking something completely wrong, and God says, stop it. And, and he's like, quit it. You're thinking about this wrong. He goes, I have never blessed you with stuff. I've blessed you with me. And I thought, ooh, I got I to rethink this a little bit. And, and Ted had just asked me to preach, and I, was, I had been kind of praying the day before that I didn't know exactly what I was going to preach, and I knew it was going to be a New Year's theme. And I'm like, here it is. This is what I'm going to work through this week, and this is what I'll share with you guys. And it, and it really is this. We have to be so careful not to misunderstand how God blesses us and what a blessing really is. And so I want it's, it's going to sound maybe a little... Um, like I'm splitting hairs, but I think it's really important that we get this perspective right. Because if we do, then we're going to see the whole year differently. And the things you're going to try to do to know God better and the things you're going to try to do to, to increase your walk, I think are actually going to work if we can see from this perspective. So let's be careful not to misunderstand. I, I've heard people say this all the time. This new car is such a blessing, right? Um, we finally closed. We're going through a house thing. And, and, I, and I've probably said a whole bunch of times, if we get this house, it'll be a blessing. And then, uh, just got back from a mission trip. We're so blessed to live in this country. And, you know, I hear that. I've said it. And I think to myself, the things we have and the things God gives us, I don't think those are blessings. I think what they are is something a little bit different. In the Bible, a blessing is usually a spiritual increase, right? It's given to people who follow God, who search after God, who seek after God, and then God does something spiritually to you. Whenever he says this is a blessing, it's usually followed by something that's happening spiritually. Look at Jeremiah. I love Jeremiah. He says a lot of great stuff. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green, and it has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And so here is what I think is kind of a biblical standard for how a blessing works. First, we trust God. Our confidence is in God. Blessings start with how we see God and how we interact with him. If we don't interact with God, the giver of blessings, then there are no blessings to be given. He can't increase us spiritually unless we're interacting with him. And this verse starts just that way. And you're going to see this pattern as Jesus speaks. He's going to tell you over and over again, this is what you do and this is the blessing that comes out of it. Right? And it's so different than what we do in America because we think, okay, I'll follow God and then God will bless me with things or with uh, healing or with... Those aren't the blessings God usually gives. The, God, the blessings God usually gives are completely different than what we think they are a lot of times. Uh, this verse itself, it's like, oh, it never fails to bear fruit. 
So if I do what God says, then I will bear fruit and that fruit will prosper. I'll be good and you're missing it. Because think about a tree. In this verse, you are the tree. And how often does a tree produce fruit for itself? Think about that for a second. Never. There's not one apple tree out there that's like, man, I made me some pretty dang good apples. I'm going to enjoy those. No, an apple tree produces apples, and then somebody else comes and gets those apples, another entity, and it feeds and nourishes something completely different than itself. And so your blessings are spiritual, and because of that you grow, and because of that you grow, you end up producing fruit that nourishes and feeds other people. See how the Bible kind of looks at blessings a little differently? Maybe than we do. Maybe you look at it this way. Maybe you're ahead of me and more mature, and that's, that's awesome, because I hope you are. But it had me rethinking how I see stuff. Think about this. The blessing is this. No fear. No worries. And to the outside world, you look healthy. That's what this verse is telling you you get out of blessings. Jeremiah even goes as far to remind us that this will happen in the midst of heat and drought. That you will be healthy, you'll have no worries, and to the outside world, you will look appealing in the midst of circumstances. Jeremiah doesn't leave out the circumstances. We're going to find out Jesus doesn't either. So let's look at this new year a little differently with a new perspective. Let's go through these blessings. There's eight of them, one by one real quick. And see what Jesus says we do, and see what Jesus says comes out of it. Okay? So, blessing one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I, for a long time, thought this meant blessed are the poor. That was how it was taught to me. If you don't have a lot of things, if you don't, you know, God will take care of you in heaven. And that is the gist, but I associated that with things, possessions, money. And God is saying, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. That in spirit is really, really, really important, right? So he's saying, blessed are you guys that realize how bereft, how empty, how poor we are spiritually. Blessed are you who realize the need for Jesus, realize daily how much we need Jesus. When we wake up, the moment we wake up, our temptation, our nature is to sin. And blessed are you guys that realize that we are sinners, And we were saved from that. It is a humble outlook on life. And he says, the more you identify with how poor spiritually you are, the more you can identify with what I'm doing in your life and how rich spiritually God is and how much he has to give you and to the entire kingdom. So think about this. It's the other part of this I messed up, I think. As I'm looking at the kingdom of God, I'm thinking, well, one day if I realize and I, and I work from a stance that I'm poor spiritually, no matter how good I get, God's going to have more spiritually to give me, that one day I'll realize in heaven how awesome God is. And God's like, no, right now. If you start realizing how poor in spirit you are, the kingdom of heaven starts for you today, right now. Right now you get the benefits. Right now you know God deeper. Right now you are, are, are growing spiritually. Right now. That is the blessing. As you go to God humbly and say, I'm a sinner. Help me work on who I am. I know who I am, and I know I'm poor in you. God begins to open up his kingdom 
in ways you never expected, in ways you never seen. And, and, and you get to experience God one-on-one right now. We don't have to wait for heaven. That's the promise here. That's the blessing. You don't have to wait. You can experience God fully today. But you have to know who you are and who he is. Blessing number two. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is part two of the first verse. These two go together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn. Okay, again, I thought, well, here, this is for sad people. God will comfort them, people who are hurting. God's saying, I I don't believe that's what he's saying here. He's saying, blessed are those who mourn their spiritual condition, who are truly sad and repentant about who they are and the rebellion they've been in against God and truly want to change. Because when you mourn something, you want it to be different. You don't want it to be the way it is. You're truly sad. You're truly repentant. You want something to be different. And so blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those who mourn their spiritual state. Blessed are those who are, who are unhappy with where they are spiritually. Because God says, I will bring you comfort. In Jesus Christ, our sins have been defeated. If that does not comfort you, that one day you can know God so well, that you can look at your sin and truly believe that it's defeated. I don't know what greater comfort there is than that. And so it's exciting to me as I start to look at these spiritual blessings. If I acknowledge my sin, I get to experience heaven now, and if I'm truly repentant, God brings me comfort in the midst of all my actions, in the midst of all the things I do wrong, in the midst of my shame, in the midst of my guilt. God will comfort me. It's pretty cool. Blessing three, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Do you know how many times God talks about being humble? A lot. I, I don't know how many times. I just, if you know, let me know. Because um, I don't know how many times, but I read it constantly. And James says, uh, God uh, takes care of the humble, but he opposes the proud. Throughout the um, Bible, it talks about being humble, having a humble spirit. And that's what this meek means here. He wants us to humble ourselves, put him in the right spot. And when we put him in the right spot, as God, as Lord, in control, right, then we start to inherit his plan for us. He's not, guys, I got to put this down for a second. Because I need my hands. All right, you ready? Okay. You have a purpose, From get-go, you were born with a purpose. God had it from you. He planned before you were even born that you would fit in his plan and you would have purpose in it and you have things to do that are going to make you happy, that are going to satisfy you, that are going to be ultimately fulfilling because God has plans for you. But he will not trust his plan to you until you're humble. So if you're wondering why God has not got your plan going and why your plan's stalled, it's because you're trying to run it, and God wants to run it. It's his plan. And in Jeremiah, it says it's a good plan. Okay, The Bible is always understated. When it says good, it means imagine the best thing that could ever be. Put yourself in that spot, and that's what God calls good. Right? God, didn't, God made the whole world, mind you, and said, it's good. I could have done better. No, he didn't say you could have done better. He said it's good, and he meant it's perfect. I've done what I've attended to do, and his plan is perfect, and you have a part in it. You have to humble yourself and understand that God has to run it. And when you do that, you inherit the earth, the plan he has for the earth, the plan he has for your part in it. 
You're treated as a son and a daughter. You inherit. You get your rights as a son and daughter. He gives you what he has planned for you the whole time. But you have to put yourself in the right place. So he says, humble yourself, and the blessing will be that your plan will work. The plan I have for you will start to take place. I can trust you more. I can give you more. I can put you to work more. And you will be so satisfied with what I have for you because my plan for you is good. Right? So that's that one. I can pick it up now because I just that was that needed hands. All right. Blessing four. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Okay? What's righteous? Who's righteous? You can answer this. This is interactive. Jesus, God, Bible. No, we just need Jesus and God. Stop at the, the, the two of the three, right? The Bible tells us what righteousness is and describes it for us. Jesus and God are righteous. When you hunger and thirst after God, God assures you the blessing is that you'll get it. You'll be completely filled. How many of you guys have ever been in that moment where you're at a place, uh, you're maybe at a worship, you're at a camp, you're, you're sitting in church sometimes, it happens here even, and all of a sudden you feel completely and ultimately full in that moment of God. God comes down and in in the Holy Spirit in a holy way just fills you. And God says, if you'll hunger and thirst after me, it can be like that all the time. You, anytime you hunger and thirst after me, I promise you, you will be filled. So when you read the Bible and you're really hungry to find out what God is saying in here, what God's telling you about people, what God tells you about him and how he interacts with us, he tells you it will be rewarded with fullness. You will get a fullness out of this and you will walk away knowing more about God and being full. That's a pretty huge promise. How many of you guys have ever gone to a movie and watched the previews being promised that you will be completely satisfied coming out of the movie with what you saw and what you experienced? Anybody ever been promised that? Anybody? Like you watched a preview and you're totally excited and then you got to the movie and it didn't uh, quite work out that way? And you walked out and you're like, I just wasted two hours of my life, right? I could easily have those two hours back and done absolutely nothing and come out ahead of where I am right now, right? <laughs> I actually am minus coming in here. <laughs> I've lost a part of my life. I'm never getting back, right? See, God says when you hunger and thirst after him, that will never happen. His preview is hunger and thirst after me, and you will be filled. It doesn't say you'll have everything you want. It doesn't say you'll know how it works out. It says you will be full of what you're hungering and thirsting after. That's a pretty big promise. A couple more. Blessing five. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is a pretty straightforward promise. God blesses us when we comfort others, both emotionally and physically. So when you're looking out for other people, right, and you need... Uh, they need physical comfort, like what we're seeing with the tornado, or they need emotional comfort, just someone to talk to, right, or, or someone to be there through hard times, or whatever it may be, when you comfort people, God says you'll receive the same from him. Now, he might use other people to do it, but how many times last year, in 2015, did you need comfort? Anybody go through the year without needing any comfort? Because the only way that's possible is if you spent the whole year comforting others. Biblically, that's what it says. The only way you can get real and true comfort, the blessing of comfort, not you have a comfy chair or a nice sandwich, but comfort from God that everything is under control, 
that he knows what's going on in the midst of all the challenges is to spend time providing that for other people. And then God says, I'll make sure you're provided with equal measure of what you provide. It's not going to come in the form of stuff, guys, most of the time. It's going to come with an overriding sense of peace and joy that you serve a God that created the universe and known from day one how it was going to work out. And the moment you're in, he's been planning for all eternity, and somehow it's going to fit into the rest of eternity. And that comfort will get you through whatever you're in. But that blessing only comes as we comfort others. I find that really, really interesting. Resting. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Uh, how many of you guys feel like pure in heart describes who you are at this moment? How many of you guys are trying? Yeah, I think that's where it should be. Okay, if you're completely pure in heart, I want to be you. Oh, I want to be you. I want to go through the, the world and look at things with a pure heart. But it's hard. And so that means I have to be working to receive this blessing God's going to talk about. I have to be working on my heart. Because you, you realize God mentions, I do know this, this number. God mentions the heart 900 times in the Bible. Nine, over 900 times. There is nothing more important to God than the heart. Protect the heart. Guard the heart. God judges the heart. Right? Nothing more important than the heart. And so the more we work on making this pure... Right? The more we work on making this pure, the more we see who God really is. I want to see God. My ultimate goal in life is to die. True story. Not now. I'm not ready to like go right in this moment. But, man, I got to tell you, I'm living for what comes after death. Right? Because God is going to be there in fullness. Jesus, I'm going to see Jesus right here, face to face. I don't know exactly how that works. I just know it's going to happen. And so my time on earth is spent trying to know God better. And God says, you'll know me as you make your heart pure. See, the Pharisees got it all wrong. They were trying to do the actions. They were trying to do the outward stuff. And their hearts were not pure. Their motives were not pure. The reasons they were doing it was not pure. It wasn't about God. It was about them. And so I start, start needing to giving up selfish stuff, things I want for me, and start saying what God wants for me and what God wants for other people and what God wants my heart to see. And when I look at people, I see the people that God sees, not the people that I get angry or frustrated with. And when I look at things, I look at them from a godly perspective, not a selfish perspective, and I start to purify my heart. And when I do that, I start to clearly see God. You cannot see God with an unpure heart. It's going to keep you from seeing a pure view of God. And the more you purify this thing, the more you, you, you read and the more you struggle with what's in your heart, that depth of emotion, the more you will see God. That is a huge blessing. It's so much easier to follow God when you can see him clearly than when it's, when it's cloudy. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessing seven, for they will be called children of God. God blesses us when we work to make every relationship, ours and others, peaceful when we're not trying to strive to make our relationships about us, but when we're trying to put out the fires, the things that make us different, the things that show God's love to others. I got to tell you, in this day and age, sometimes the church gets it wrong. We should not be standing outside picketing people in a hateful way 
because it says we're supposed to be peacemakers. We're not supposed to be poking trouble. We're supposed to solve these relationships. We don't have to buy into what other people are doing, but we have to buy into those people. And it says make peace. So if you see someone that believes completely different than you, you should not be scared of them. You should not be talking them down. You love them and make peace with them so they can see the God of peace. They can't see it any other way than through us. So when we stand up and be hateful, all they see is hate, and then we claim to be children of God. And God said, instead, blessed be a, are those who make peace. Blessed are those who make peace. I'm not afraid of Muslims coming to this country because I serve a God that loves them just as much as he loves me. And he intends for me to serve them. I'm not afraid. Even if they take my life, I'm not afraid. Because I serve a God who says it's more than just about this love. Make peace. And I will do everything I can to make peace with those people that don't want to make peace with me so they can see the God I serve and love him as much as I'm learning to and be loved by him. Because here's the thing. They serve a God that doesn't love them. We serve a God that loves us amidst everything, so I will make peace. And I'm learning that, and it's hard, because I see some of the things that are going on, and it breaks my heart, and it hurts, and I get angry. And it's hard to be a peacemaker when you're angry. But we've got to start learning how to do that, because look at the promise. <laughs> they will be called children of God. You will be known. God, not by you, not by your mistakes, not by, you'll be known by the God of love and peace and joy and justice. You will be known by that God. You will be called his children. You'll have all the rights of being his children, of claiming to be his children. That is a big promise and a big blessing to be seen by the outside world as children of God. It will change your world when you start to be seen by the God you serve instead of the self you serve. Guys, you, you, this is a big one. It's a hard one, but it's a big one. He, say, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, eight is the last blessing, and then we'll kind of finish this off. Blessed are those who are per persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He, he finishes these last couple verses by saying you're going to be persecuted. Okay? It's going to happen. Persecution can come in all forms. You might get sick. You might, he's talking specifically about what's going to be happening with the Roman Empire coming up, I believe. He's saying, look, they are going to kill you. They are going to hurt you. They're going to come against you legally. They're going to come against you in government. And, and I want to say sounds familiar, but let me just add this little caveat. What happened in Rome is not happening here yet. And so let's not compare the two because people literally were being fed to lions. I've not seen anybody thrown into the zoo pit yet. Okay, so while we are having some persecution in a small, trust me, what we're experiencing here in America is nothing, right? We are, we are truly uh, taken care of in this country still. And so we need to live out of that and not out of the fear that one day we'll be persecuted. We know that's coming. So he says, blessed are those who, who are persecuted and accept it for God's name, not because of us, but for God's sake, for righteousness' sake, because the kingdom of heaven is yours. The ultimate blessing you're going to get is that the kingdom of heaven today, when you know Christ, is yours. The peace, the understanding, the knowing of God, all the stuff with kingdom of heaven that, that we're going to get in fullness one day, we can start experiencing right now 
amidst the persecution. When you get persecuted because you stand for God in a peaceful, loving, all the stuff that went before way, and it's basically saying you will be persecuted for that at some point, you're promised the kingdom of heaven. There's not a better promise than that. There's not a better blessing than that. Now, 11 and 12 cracks me up, okay, a little bit. Because I'm sitting here, he's speaking, he's sitting on a mountain, speaking to all these people, and he's telling them all these blessings and all this stuff. And then he, fin- he, he finishes the blessing part with this. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they're, they're going to persecute you. Can you imagine being Peter? Waiteth a minute, Godeth. I always feel like the apostles spoke in Old English, um, like King James Version, the King's English. Right? Waiteth, Lord. Right? Hold on a minute. Like 12a could have easily been wait. Right? Lord, what about blessed art thou who are comfortable? <laughs> right? Or uh, blessed art thou which havest good jobs, a modest house in the suburbs, and a yearly vacation to the Florida Gulf Coast. Right? I think Peter's like, hold up. Matthew didn't include this part. It's just opinion on my, like this is not in Matthew. It's just my opinion, right? And I can see Jesus, apologies, my brethren, but those did not make it the cut, right? And, and, and Jesus saying, look, this is, uh, <laughs> sorry, you're going to be persecuted. Things are not going to go right in this world. See, what we tend to forget is that sin from beginning has affected the world as much as it's affected us. I truly believe that sin has killed the world like it's killing us. It's a disease that not only affects us, but physically affects the world we're living in. Sin is the root cause of why our earth is dying. It was never intended to die. It was intended to be cared for and kept up by humans under God's control and instruction. And so we wonder why these natural disasters happen. The very earth is dying because of sin. And one day there'll be a new earth. And that's what we have to look forward to. So he says, expect it. Expect bad things. And rejoice. Because one day, this will be no more. It's a huge, huge caveat to what he's saying here. Is these blessings. And we have to hear this. Because so many times, people stand up and say, look, the blessings of the Lord. If you live, you'll get a new car. You'll get money. Everything. You'll be healed. All this stuff will be fixed. And while God has the power to do all of those things, he doesn't promise you that he will. He does promise there will be hard times and hardships. But look at the blessings that go with it. If you serve God amidst all that stuff, you will be taken care of. In Matthew, it's, uh, later on in Matthew, he says, look at the birds. They're just birds. They get sold for like a penny in the market. They're just birds. But they never want. They have everything they need. And look at the flowers. They get burnt up to make room for for farming and all that kind of stuff. They get plowed, they get burnt up, they get destroyed, but they're gorgeous, they're beautiful, and God clothes them better than he ever clothed Solomon, the richest man they knew at that time. And he says, look, I'm your father. And when does a father not take care of his children? Don't worry. In the midst of all of this, you will be taken care of. You will have what you need. Nowhere does it say you will have what you want. But he's a good father, so sometimes he gives us what we want. And we mistake that for a blessing. The blessings aren't the things we have. The blessings are the closeness we get to God. And so as we look at this new year, I want to go back for a second. 
right? If my sandwich is not a blessing, then what the heck is it? Because it's amazing, right? And I want to know what this sandwich is about. Because when I get to heaven and I talk to God about this sandwich, he's not going to care. He's going to be like, look, it's not about the sandwich. I'll be like, God, it's kind of about the sandwich. He's like, no. He's like, the sandwich was good. He goes, it was. But I'm not going to ask you about the sandwich I gave you or the car I gave you or the wife I gave you or the kids I gave you or the things you have. What he's going to ask are these questions. He's going to ask this. What will you do with it? Will you use it for yourself? Did you use it for yourself? Did you use it to help others? See, I started thinking about this sandwich. I really don't need to eat all of this. That's kind of, I do. I shouldn't. But what if I started looking around for someone who doesn't have a sandwich? That's the saddest thing on the world, to not have a sandwich. I can think of nothing sadder. I really can't. Okay, this is like, this is the epitome of what is America. You can have a sandwich whenever you want one. But what about people who don't have a sandwich? Am I sharing, this is going to sound so stupid, but this is what was going through my head. Am I sharing my sandwiches with people who don't have sandwiches? And then I kind of took that a little further. What about my money? What about my things? What about my time? Is it all about me? Am I using it for me? Do I hold it close for comfort sometimes? It's comforting. It's a sandwich. So it's comforting. Uh, Do I share it? Right? The truth is this. I have no idea why I was born where I was or why I have the opportunities I have. It's beyond comprehension that we were born in America, that we have the things we have, that we see the things we we see, we have the ability to do anything. Do you realize that the poor in America aren't poor by the rest of the world's standards? Because really and truly, for the most part, if they want to get something to eat, there's probably a way to, to do it. And there's countries where literally if you don't have something to eat, there's nowhere to go to get something. Like, I don't understand why I'm here. I certainly don't believe God has chosen me as being better than others, and so somehow I've earned the right to be here and to have all this stuff, and everybody else just needs to be brought up to my standard of living. But it doesn't mean I can't take advantage of the opportunities set before me. A comfortable life may come to me, but it's not guaranteed. If it doesn't happen, I don't believe Jesus will call me blessed. If I get everything I want, if I have the car and the house and the American dream, if I get everything I want when I get to heaven, Jesus is not going to say, you were so blessed. He's going to say, I gave you such a burden for people who don't know me. What did you do with it? See, in Luke, it tells a story of a master that goes away and he leaves behind his resources with servants. And it says some of the servants do what they're supposed to, but some of the servants says, you know what, he's going to be away for a long time. So I'm going to use this to play. I'm going to use this to, to, to cover me and to do the things I want to do. And the master comes back and it says he, it's kind of a cool story, it says he literally beats that servant, which is probably not the best analogy, but it's what it says in the Bible. And he says, look, to whom, this is where this comes from, to whom much is given, finish it. And to whom even more is given, more is required. 
So here's the thing. God doesn't want us to look at our stuff, our circumstances, the fact that we live in America, the fact that we have comfortable clothes, the fact that our house didn't get torn over by a tornado is a blessing. He wants us to look at it as a God-given burden to do something with it because we have been given so much. The fact that we're sitting here right now able to just speak the word of God and for me to hold this Bible in front of you is something they don't even have in China. They don't have that freedom. Just the ability to sit here should be a burden on us to make sure everybody has this freedom. When I sit in my house, I should be burdened with the fact that there's people that don't have houses. Not to the point where I feel bad, but to the point where I want to do something about it. See, this new year, if we get the right perspective and we start to understand that blessings drive us closer to God, and as we get closer to God, we start to understand the things we have, our resources God gave us to do something in his name, in his plan, and those resources are not for us. That's crazy. The Bible economy is so different here. In Acts, it says they got together as a church, and I saw this on Friday. The churches came together, and whoever was in need, they gave what they could. They gave what they had to make sure all the needs were taken care of. That is the biblical model for our stuff for our position. It really is. So, if we look at things different, let's let's I'm going to finish it up real here with the last two verses, 13 and 14. He gives us our position and our possessions for two reasons. You ready? Write this down. This is good stuff. It's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. The first one is for flavor and preservation, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its flavor, With which shall it be salted? It is thereafter good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. If you are not using your possessions, God's pretty, Jesus is pretty blunt here. If you're not using your possessions to be the flavor and the preservation of this world, then you are no good, he says. You're not any good to me. You're only good to be thrown out and trodden underfoot. That's a, that's a, people say Jesus didn't ever make statements like that. Do you realize some of the things Jesus says is like, Harsh? This is a harsh statement. If you're not helping preserve this world for God and you're not giving the world flavor, we're the flavor of the party. Who doesn't want to be that? I've always wanted to be the flavor. Like every party I ever went to, I can't dance. And so I'm like, I'm not I'm flavorless. My sandwich is good, but I'm flavorless. Right? Man, God says, no, 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 no. Christians, you have every piece you need to be the flavor of the party. You serve me. You are plugged into the power source, right? So you are going to be what brings flavor to the world. They're going to see you and realize that, that life could be so much more than it is. They're going to wonder what joy tastes like. You're the flavor of joy. They're going to wonder what it's like to have peace. You bring peace. I mean, you're the flavor of the world. Everything you have leaves a good taste. And everything they have is bland. They're shooting for things that don't fill, that don't work, and you have the answer. And you're the preservation. You're, you're, you're the only reason they're being kept alive is because maybe you'll talk to them and give the good news so that they also can be saved. 
you're the, you're the thing that preserves this world from the world coming to an end. If we stop preaching God, if we stop preaching the gospel, they have no chance. You're their preservation. You're their lifeline. That's what he's saying. That's what salt does. It, in, in olden days, it's how meat didn't rot, and it's what gave flavor. That's what we are. And then the second thing it says, we're a lighthouse. Okay, what does a lighthouse do? This is, this is interaction, group interaction. What does a lighthouse do? Talk to somebody next to you and tell them what a lighthouse does. What's the purpose? Other than to look awesome, because I love lighthouses. Almost as much as I like sandwiches. I have no idea why. Okay, what does a lighthouse do? Somebody loud. It guides. It lights the way. In a storm. Right? Do you really need a lighthouse when everything's sunny and bright outside and you can see everything? When do you need a lighthouse? When it's dark and stormy. Those are the two biggest times you'd like to know where the lighthouse is. Right? In a dark and stormy world, we are the thing. And what do lighthouses do? Is the goal to get to the lighthouse? Where's the goal? Safe harbor. Right? Safe harbor. What does the lighthouse do? It directs you past the bad stuff to a safe harbor. We are supposed to be the ones that lead them to safety, that lead them to light, that lead them to safety, lead them to protection in God. So in this new year, we've got to look at our stuff and look at the things that we call blessings and understand the blessings are really what drive us to Christ, make us more like him, and the things that come out of that. And then as, as we start to, to look at those blessings and, and, and count them in our lives, then we take those blessings, that knowledge of God, and we look at our stuff, and we look at our position, and we look where we are and realize that God put you there not for you, but for the people around you. And we start to look at how our house could be used for others, okay? I'm, I'm going to brag on Bobby here for a second, okay? Because this, this just, my heart just was like, oh, I wish I was like Bobby, all right? Because uh, you know why I want to be like Bobby? I want to be like Bobby a lot of times because Bobby reminds me of Jesus, right? And, and I hope someday people can say that about me, right? But Bobby, the, you know what the first thing he put on Facebook, first thing I saw after the tornadoes hit? We can take six people into our house. That's how a house is supposed to be used. I thought that was awesome. And guys, I've seen, I, I, I wish I was like Monica. I don't know where she is, but I wish I was like Monica's because you know what Monica started doing with her stuff? She started making food and taking it to people. Right? I want that kind of heart that sees people hungry and just starts feeding them. Right? That sees people homeless and says, I've got a room. That's how we're supposed to use our stuff. Uh, really, it's, it's amazing. All right, listen to the last verse. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. You cannot hide from the world. You can't hide from this responsibility. You are the light. You cannot hide it. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Guys, that's what this new year is supposed to be about. It's what last year is supposed to be about. It's what all the years are supposed to be about, is that we grow closer to Christ. We're blessed with the opportunity to know God deeply. And we're given the responsibility to use our lives, our position, our possessions, the people that are involved with us, to be a light to the rest of the world, that they may see God, that we light God up. That's my challenge for the new year, guys. And it's not an easy one. 
But it goes back to that idea of resolutions. If we understand why we're doing it and we have a plan for it, we'll be much more successful in, at, at seeing that through. And if we understand the perspective that it's coming from, we're even more likely. So you've got the perspective. What I'd like you to do is today, tomorrow, next couple days, sit down with you and your loved ones, your ones that are going to be in this with you. If you're married, you, your spouse has got to be in this. If you have kids, include them because this is how we teach them. We include them as we're growing. We include them in that growth. Sit down and say, look, we've got all this stuff. What's some things we can do this year to use this position, this stuff, these things, the, the people we are, to reach the people around us? Who do you work with? Who do you go to school with? How can we serve them? See, because now you've got perspective and you've got plan. According to my study, you're much more likely to, 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 to succeed in both of those things, growing closer to God and being used by God. I want to do that. Hold me accountable. Ask me if I did that because I need to do the same thing. But it, was, it, it, it all started with a sandwich. I just want you to know that. So sandwiches are awesome. They're made of God. Let's pray. Uh, God, I just come to you right now, and I, I uh, ask that you start to give us perspective, that blessings are about knowing you and knowing you deeply. God, I pray right now that if anybody's sitting in here and saying, I don't even know God, and you're telling me I can't even be blessed unless I know him, God, that, that right now they will pray and ask that their sins be forgiven. And God, ask to know you and have a relationship with you and let you come in and be Lord of their lives so that they can experience what it is to know you, to be blessed with the overriding comfort and joy of knowing you, the Father. God, it's that simple. Forgive me of my sins and come into my life and be Lord. And it says we're saved. For those who know you, God, grow us. Grow us. No matter where we're at, we can grow. God, grow us so that we understand we're seeking blessings of knowing you. And God, that everything you've given us is a challenge to use it for you. Our talents, our, our, our lives, God, are for you. Be with us as we go through this new year and challenge us and grow us. And so that we can look back over the year and say, I know God better. And this year, I used everything he gave me so other people could know him too. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.